0: Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? Then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to ACAST.com to get started for free.
1: This episode of the Strip podcast is sponsored and dedicated to all of our Amsterdam level patrons on patreon.com. If you want to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Stripped. They are Craig Dunphy, Claire Bailey, Calvin Bishop, Wayne Edge, Rachel Bolton, Steen Gyoteth, Dominic Tollin, Simon Lubinus, Paul Simons, Richard Knoll, Donald Dea, Richard Weiss, Marcy Mangum, Morgan Tanji, Anders Ericsson, Rasul Moat, Steve Toes, Paul Wallace, and Patrick Burt. Thank you all so much, guys. All the money that you guys are putting into it is going straight to the Ella Thompson Fund, and if anyone listening wants to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash The Wire and join up there.
2: The experience of The Wire has shown me is, one, the power of the media, number two, that, um, Baltimore is no different to Glasgow, or to Barcelona, or to parts of Paris. You know, um, they have the exact same problems. And this is from people who have seen it, who volunteered this information. You know, so um, it'll probably be going on, for, going on some, for some time, because it is a, a really good study of, uh, of, of the Western world's
3: governance. Hi there, I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Kobe,
3: And this is The Wire Stripped. It's the podcast where we listen to The Wire episode. We we listen to it, we watch it, we watch it, you listen to us talking about it, (laughs) Uh, episode by episode. Today we're watching season three, episode 11. It's called Middle Ground.
1: Yeah, and importantly, we don't just hear from our voices, you hear from some of the cast, some of the crew, and we also get to hear from you guys. So stay tuned to find out how we can hear your voices in the show, episode 11 season three god if you don't know then then don't know what happens in this <laughs> well then.
3: well yeah. yeah if you haven't watched it yet go watch it uh, yeah. and come come back to us because it's a it's a cracker my god. <laughs> you, you guys can't see kobe now but he's still not over it no and no. it's the
1: first time watching i'm not over it from the, watching it for the first time two decades ago so it's oh, good i'm, it's I'm excited a, for you guys i'm excited it's a
3: memorable one it's a memorable one so uh here we go here's our chat about uh String a bell.
1: About <laughs> <laughs> string a <of> bell dying.
3: <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> when you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your
4: back.
3: Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track.
5: When you walk
3: with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul gotta keep
6: the devil way
5: down in the hole he got the
3: fire and the fury well here we are guys we're looking over the baltimore skyline hey how's it going we're reminiscing this balcony is tight <laughs> so tight <laughs> was that a line of dialogue in this episode i don't remember. I think it was i think it was i'm pulling it in uh yeah yeah we're just thinking back to you know, those heady days when three seasons ago when we started a podcast. Yeah, stealing badminton rackets.
1: <laughs> we didn't even know how to play badminton. We had nothing but dreams. <laughs> this is a big episode, right? Yeah, if you don't know, then... <laughs> then spoiler alert! Because yeah. we're going to spoil this episode. Yeah, this is, this is probably the biggest episode ever, up till now at least. Yes. The only one to win an Emmy. Is it? Yes. Uh, they won a primetime Emmy
3: for outstanding writing for a drama series for uh george pelicanos and david Simon.
1: well i think if there's any singular episode in the wire that does stand out to people who know even a modicum of what's happened before this episode it happens in this episode yeah yeah exactly this this stuck with me this final the final moments
3: of this episode will haunt me forever (laughs) um but let's not, let's not go right into that. We've got, to, we've got a few bits to cover up <laughs> before we get to the end. So why don't we head down to a little alley <laughs> <laughs> where the Wild West has re-emerged.
1: <laughs> this is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I love um, Omar. I love Brother Mizone. And just the cockshawedness of both of them, from, but, but, but coming from different angles. Yeah. Brother Mizone is so steadfast. He's, he just says to Omar take your gun out throw it away and I was like no I'm gonna take it out but I'm not gonna throw away how fucking dare you <laughs> <laughs> it's badass <laughs> they're they are they're real equals aren't they yeah yeah and there's that respect there um and you, you see a few points later in this episode well you see a point later in this episode where brother Mazone kind of makes a gay joke in a way um yeah but I don't think he doesn't he doesn't he, I don't I don't think brother Mazone's gay I don't think uh, sorry, I don't think he's homophobic. Yeah. Um, it just was an opportunity for him to... Get a dig in. Yeah, get a dig in. Yeah.
3: But I think there is... Well, he's also casually homophobic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but there was, yeah, there's mutual respect there for... On both sides.
3: Yes. Yeah, but a, but a sort of an uneasy um, respect. Yeah. Right, which I like. I mean, they start this episode holding guns towards each other and they end it pointing those guns at someone else, but it's, it is an uneasy alliance. Yeah. You kind of feel like you kind of feel like they're both kind of eager to go their separate ways after all this is done, right? Yeah. They just have a mutual interest and then- That's
1: it, we'll work we together go. for this and then let's never speak of this again. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> let's, I mean, we know, we know what's going to happen at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So, but it's interesting to see this on a revisit, this episode, how it kind of pinpoints what's going to happen. And this is the, this is the start of what's, of the downfall um for the, the culmination of this episode and i remember the first time I watched it, just thinking this is cool oh this is cool oh this is cool oh shit they went there yeah <laughs> <laughs> but now you revisit you're like okay i see what i see what that's how that's laying up that bit that's laying up that bit that's laying up that bit yeah to hit the mark we're trying not to say we're, we're gonna we're gonna hold off talking about the big events you guys but know you, you know what's going on um but i love the standoff with with those guys and it it is
3: shot uh, the the Joe Chappelle the director does it like it's clear callbacks to like Sergio Leone yes the wild west it really is like it may as well have a tumbleweed going in between them
7: I knew you'd come back I trust you didn't lose sleep over it worrying about you be like wondering if the sun gonna come up ain't about to wild out over it what I wanna know is how you find me your boy he didn't give you up easy. Ain't no sugar water run through them veins. You kill him. He's resting. I see you favor a forty-five. Tonight I do. I keep one in the chamber in case you
8: ponder. That meeting is one of the greatest scenes in the whole series.
3: This is podcaster and academic Andrew Johnston, our Baltimore expert. It's it's quiet. It's straightforward, but it's incredibly
8: well shot. Just like a two. Mostly just a two-angle shot down the alleyway, but it just captures it captures the size of them. Omar seems huge in that alleyway by the way that it's framed, just because what you can distinguish in the background is so far in the background, he looks quite large. And Brother Mizone looks menacing and tall and looming. In the shadow. Oh, it's so well shot, and they exchange the f- so few words, honestly, and are so distinctly themselves. You know, Brother Mazon's just the very, the well-educated, very uh, uh, eloquent, hits all the hits all the enunciations just right, and then Omar is Omar, <laughs> just Omar is all over it. That's one of the greatest scenes.
7: Nice showpiece you got there. Walther PPK, 380, double action Hey, them Walters like to jump some As will you, with one in your elbow That gun ain't got enough firepower to make my joint useless It definitely won't stop me from emptying out half my mag You might not hit me This range? And this caliber? Even if I miss, I can't miss I admire a man with confidence I don't see no sweat in your brow neither, bruh I suppose we could stand here all night. Suppose we could. Or settle this once and forever. I want to ask you something, brother. more listening.
3: There's a lot of, like, other Wild West sort of um, nods throughout this episode. Like right. Like the... Um, when, we'll get to it, but when um, Bunny is taking Carchetti on his sort of uh, magical mystery tour of, <laughs> of Amsterdam, <laughs> he says, I showed you the good, and now I'm going to show you the ugly. Uh, yes. Yeah, nice, and I don't know if that nice. was accidental, but I, it, 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 I, I feel like nothing's accidental no, in The Wire, is it?
1: I think they pour over every single line. They're trying to work out the exact best thing to put at each, in each conversation, yeah. and that's a great way to punctuate that.
3: And there are a lot of great lines. You just had one a second ago, but there are like this, this episode deserved its Emmy. <laughs> uh, it's riddled with just awesome, awesome dialogue, which I think we'll just we'll pepper just in as we go.
9: Specifically, it's, it's always about the text. And, and what informed a lot of, what I, of how I discovered the character was David and the other writers are very specific in their sort of the stage direction.
1: We wanted brother, so we got him. This is Michael Potts. He plays Brother Muzone.
9: About, uh, he looks askance, <laughs> you know, he, he blinks, he scowls. And so it gave me insight in just the way that, that the syntax, the way it was on the page, how he speaks, that he speaks in monologues, he gives arias, in a sense, and he's very specific about the words and, 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 and very detailed, so that gives, you know, gives me a great insight into the character. And also because I remember as a young teenager uh, uh, living in Brooklyn, my stepfather had friends who were members of the Nation of Islam. And he had a good friend who used to come over to the house all the time, Shaqeen. So, the, and, and also the Nation of Islam at that time was was, was very, very visible, visible in the community. I mean, we ate a lot of bean pies in my house. And so, so I had a, a sort of a firsthand, you know, back of my mind, deep in my memory, sense of how they carried themselves and so that helped to inform the portrait as well so it becomes very it became very much a Sergio Leone moment and just the way they shot it the eyes going from the eyes going from long shot short all of that stuff it was very cold that morning I do remember that very very cold and they were very very Everyone was incredibly excited about the shooting of this particular scene, and so it took hours. And and if you will notice, even in uh, (laughs) one of the sort of shots, they had me, I had to angle my body a particular way, (laughs) just so they could get this particular shot down the alley. And I remember how uncomfortable that was.
1: So when we go into the politics side of this of this episode, one thing everyone remembers what happens at the end, which we try not to allude to, but we're alluding to by not alluding to it. Um, what I really love is, and this is the combination of this season, is that Bunny has tried to legalise drugs to try and achieve a, better, a greater good. When the guys, when Burrell and Rawls found out about it, they absolutely hit the roof, but they don't want to get their asses in trouble. When you get to the politics side, so even the mayor is trying to think he's got people he's got a consortium of people to try and work out if it actually has any merit to it Mm. crime has gone down people aren't dying left right and center and i have this kind of warm-hearted feeling here that he thinks there could be some merit to it and if it wasn't for the fact that he had to get re-elected he would actually try and push this kind of thing through to because it is helping people yeah that's the that's the thing
3: isn't it the 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 results are there, yeah, you know, and he's hearing Royce is hearing these results mm. and can understand how you can turn that back into a campaign right or into a pitch mm. like the thing is is working in some regards, but like we said earlier there's a there's a good side and there's an ugly side, yeah, but like you said, he can't and won't well he's he's wavering here, but it's ultimately it's a huge gamble <laughs> when you've got an institution and history and the federal side of things that just won't allow it. And when you've got a country that since the sort of Reagan times in particular and the eighties and him and Nancy were hitting, that's when the war of drugs really ratcheted up and it hasn't really stopped since then. And I think what David Simon is telling us in this season is that doesn't work. And that's, you know, a, Approaching it with violence and bullying, yeah. No, not necessarily. It, but even just like the, the enforcement of that put, isn't effective.
1: It makes criminals out people who, you know, they're carrying a joint, carrying a very small amount of of drugs on them yeah. for personal use or otherwise, and that puts yeah, it, it puts everyone down. Um, the so, the solutions have to come from
3: community and listening mm-hmm. and, and we get it you know we get a bit of that on Bunny's magical mystery tour at the <laughs> neighborhood council meeting you know he says uh, uh what have you ever seen a council meeting like this yeah. even the the woman who sp- stands up speaks about the police that used to come and sit on her um on a stoop her stoop yeah. and talk to her granny and and, and that happened again yes. for the first it's a little bit cheese ball for me in, in in you could look at it like that way but, but we, it works
1: we're not warm-hearted when that you like oh
3: 100 oh, yeah. T- oh, yeah no i don't mean i don't mean that in a negative way <laughs> but i think you could look at that and be like this is slight this is borderline saccharin, um but it works because we're 11 episodes in and, and i'm invested in bunny and his plan yeah and and so yeah but it what i mean by saccharin and cheeseball is it it's a little bit of a fantasy mm. but i'm like I'm happy to live in this fantasy for a minute. Yeah. And Royce is considering living in this fantasy. That's the strength of the fantasy. And the thing is, it's just not ever on the table.
1: No, not effectively. Royce's right-hand man is angry, livid. Yeah. You have with Bunny, You've got he's got Carver on his side, but it's Kirk and the other two clowns, not on his side, in any way, shape or form.
3: Yeah, they're happy when the press show up. Yeah. Delighted.
1: And it's just, it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking. And, and I like to think, I like to think that Royce in in the madness, he's seen like a moment of clarity and kind of thought, "This guys, this is a route. But he knows he's, unfortunately, for reasons of politics and trying to get reelected or this isn't the right time, he's not going to be the one to drive it through. Yeah, I do like to think Royce has got good in him. Based on that. Well,
3: that's interesting that you saw that because I don't see any uh, good in Royce. Right. I see Royce from a cynical fo- point of view. Right. I think I'm looking at him like a smart man, clearly a very smart guy who, cause he's an, and a guy who knows how to maneuver because he's in that mayor's chair. Sure, But I think he's a man that's looking at all the facts in front of him and he's listening to all the people. And he's trying, he he's, can see how that can turn into votes and or... A legacy for him right so, that's that's oh, okay. paving the way kind of stuff
1: so he wants the statue and also he wants the mega massive drop in crime and also the all the other benefits yeah, which yeah. means
3: more terms yeah
1: right
2: i think uh what's important about any type of discussion around royce is um the importance of this particular episode's title, which is Middle Ground.
1: This is the voice of Dr. Russell Mowat, who is a professor at Indiana University and actually teaches a course about The Wire. And to me, it
2: sort of speaks to this idea of centrism in politics, um, the notion of um, favouring both um, you know, the legal rights of individuals or the social responsibility of an entire society. And really, honestly, there is no true middle ground. You know, either you are for you know, the people of society or you are for these individual rights. And so Royce is sort of you know, exemplifying this you know, mythical middle ground where the pros and cons that he's weighing out are both about his own personal advancement, but also the other people that he is sort of subservient to um, in the ruling class of Baltimore. And so it really speaks to the corruption in government, the care for nothing but the numbers, the care for how to use those numbers, and the care for maintenance of their sort of ruling class serving privilege. It also highlights you know how disposable these communities are um, and in how you know everybody is you know at first excited about the fourteen percent reduction in crime and opportunities to deal with addiction and treatment and the condom distribution, but ultimately nobody truly cares about these neighborhoods um, because we think that Bunny Colvin created a secret, but this was a physical space. This was an open air drug market that anybody could drive by and see, you know, and unfortunately, reason why no one was seeing it is because most of the people who were in power n- never drive through these neighborhoods in the first place uh, whether it's at the state, county or city level.
3: I don't think we get a whole lot of insight into it's, into his actual motivation. Nah. So I think either of us could be right, True. but I think it's interesting that we both saw it that way. Um interestingly the um I read that the one of his advisors who are telling him about um uh, why it's working mm. is Played by Kurt L. Schmoke, who was an actual former real life mayor of Baltimore. Oh, okay. Who advocated for exactly this for Brilliant. Amsterdam? He was in. He was in favor of drug decriminalization.
1: So David Simon was like, "We need get Kirk. <laughs> yeah, Kurt. get him in here. Kirk, come in." I just, I just, but it's, it's. It's another example,
3: you know, they do a lot of local Baltimore mm-hmm. casting and and people of like former police commissioners and, yeah, yeah. and all this kind of stuff bringing them into the mix. But I I love just the how well that casting just ties it. It's like that's a culmination of a career to be able to <laughs> for that man to play that. It's awesome.
1: So let's let's talk about um Bunny's Magical Mystery Tour with Carcetti. <laughs> yeah what do you what, what okay so what do you think of carcetti's motivation what do you think carcetti was thinking right so the thing is when
3: i came down hired on royce because i think he's too much of a cynic i think he's right. too far removed from the everyday working person like you'd never catch royce in one of those neighborhood meetings, no. right and carcetti is like he's all he's borderline right because he's a councilman mm-hmm. so he's He's almost, he is almost Royce. Right. Literally, like he has intentions to become Royce's, yeah, take to his g- share. take his share. Yeah. So he's like on the cusp, but I think, I think deep down, I think Carcetti is a moral person. And I think this tour that Bunny brings him on does have a, an effect on him on a personal level. Yeah. And I think when he's considering this to Teresa as an idea, I think he's coming at it from a, This could actually work and would be better for the community, like because he's seen it firsthand. So I think he is a good person deep down who's being corrupted by politics.
1: And Terry D'Agostino, she's just she's done a poli sci degree and knows (laughs) that's not going to (laughs) fly.
3: Well, exactly. She just she's just very good at her career and knows how to get people elected. Yeah, and that's not how you get people (laughs) elected, right? Decriminalize drugs in Baltimore.
1: That does not work. (laughs)
10: I had real hope when I saw Bunny taking Carcetti round Amsterdam.
1: This is film and TV journalist and author of the book, Women vs. Hollywood, Helen O'Hara.
10: Because I thought, this is the guy who's going to get it. This is the guy who will understand that, that this programme, or whatever you want to call it, this experiment has a future, that this could lead to good results, because it felt like maybe if he could get him on side, then maybe we've got a chance of building on this and moving it forward somehow. And of course, that's not The Wire. That's not this show. And I should have known that. And I feel stupid. But back when I watched that, this for the first time, I genuinely, that was my moment of real hope in this season, really. And then it all came to nothing. So thanks for that, David Simon. But, but it is, it's a real moment of possibility. You kind of see him be a little convinced. You kind of see him asking the questions and being open to the answers. And you feel like, okay, maybe if he listens to this, maybe we've, we're going to get somewhere. But no. He uses it for political game because of course he does.
6: Absolutely. I think they had, you know, a a template of what they wanted to do in season three, but um, it kept growing.
1: This is Bob Wisdom, better known as Bunny Colvin.
6: Uh, And we'll talk about the end when we get there. But um, uh, they didn't even know that last, that was just an addition, you know, when they, because of the accident of the bulldozing, you know, our neighborhood. And so they went in and, and created a scene around that that was fucking the kicker, you know, um, the kicker for Bunny's story and for the city of reform and the city, you know, uh, a city in reform and, and, and you know, the story that we are addressing the, of The Wire. So uh, you, get, an actor can never play the metaphors, you know, um, but this thing was so full of them that you were... You were literally... You you knew you were in something
1: great. You
6: just couldn't see it.
1: Back in the MCU. <laughs> uh, it will always be marvellous. <laughs> That'll never get old. <laughs> um, we've got the fruits of Freeman's Freeman's entrapment of um, Bernard and his girlfriend.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's working. Yeah. I love this. I lo- they, They've got a throwaway line, which is something like, can you believe we sold them wiretapped phones? Yeah. Back to-? It's, it's just...
1: <laughs> I, I, it's a wonderful ploy. And, I mean, just... Just this section, anytime Lester's talking and his tech, I just ache for ache for uh, Prez Prez. To be there. Oh, yeah. it's sad, isn't it? It is not it He's a real, like, he's a hole it's, in that room. It, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of whiz-bangery that I don't understand here, but there's cross-referencing. <laughs> whiz-bangery? Cross-referencing.
3: <laughs> you never sounded older than you did in that moment.
1: Guys, <laughs> I've, I've, I've just turned 40 and that's oh, what happens. All
3: these kids with their gadgets and their gizmos <laughs> and their whiz-bangeries.
1: <laughs> It's cross referencing of numbers. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, it starts out with thousands of numbers. So let's take a step
3: back. Um, I think I got this. Yeah, go. So it's like, well, well, they get this bit of kit from the FBI, which I love. No, I no, love. No, no, the they details. don't get it.
1: They, they try to. Get, they go to the FBI.
3: Oh yeah, and they're like, no, you already have yeah. one. I love. I lo- <laughs> this is just another example of like the inefficiencies yeah. of of a
1: system, like massive bureaucracy.
3: It's, yeah, and the, it, that happens everywhere. It happens in my company. We're like, oh <laughs> yeah, that's downstairs. Yes. Yeah, in a cupboard.
1: There's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, yeah you think so? Anyway, <laughs> it's where I just said it was. So off you go.
3: So good, and we get that lovely little moment with um McNulty going down to the basement. Yeah. Oh, I love any time you go down to the basement <laughs> in the in the Western or in a. Or they
1: those guys could not give an, could not give a fuck.
3: No, he's reading a porn magazine. What's he doing? This is the second instance
1: <laughs> we've seen because we had this in season two with Horseface as well. Horseface, Horseface Red One, Landsman likes to read them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get it a lot. Just, just sitting reading around reading. Like, but
3: not reading. Like, it's not like reading articles like in Playboy. It's like just they're reading <laughs> the sections with the <laughs> naked women. It's just like, it's just studying them. As if it's like a <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare sonnet. Yeah. <laughs> Memorizing it. Um, that character actually is played by Dennis Lehan. Oh, okay. Um, who has written a few episodes of The Wire yeah. and uh, Gone Baby Gone and oh, Mystic really? River oh, and like, some famous books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he gets to hold out a magazine Born. called <laughs> Irish Lasses. <laughs> so <it is>. Brilliant. <laughs> That'll be his lasting legacy.
1: But he had this, again, that bureaucracy and he just leaves, he leaves McNulty just to go and find it himself. And yeah. But it's great. They just pull it out. Him and Freeman know what to do with it exactly. And they know how to do the... Cross yeah, lines. of course they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, Freeman knows all about the whiz-bangery. He does. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, so the way I understood it was like the, they're monitoring the cell tower. Yeah. And then anytime any cell phone in the radius pings that cell tower yeah. at a specific point, they'll get all that those, hit. Yes. So that could be that's like a, a, a 1,800 and whatever calls it was. But So they know that one of those numbers is Stringer Bell's number, but they mm-hmm. don't know which one. So then they, when they see Stringer Bell making another call, they do the same thing. And then that list, they cross-reference it with the first list yeah. and narrow it down to how many of those are the same. Yep. And then they just keep doing that until you get down to one number because there's only going to be... You're going to eliminate so many every time. That's yeah. it.
1: Unless strings on the yeah. phone at the same time as a thousand people every single time. <laughs> Which could happen. Yeah. Well, these days yeah.
3: probably would happen. Yeah, exactly. Although nobody phones anyone anymore these days. So WhatsApp. WhatsApp. <laughs> I'd love to see Lester Freeman pointing that gizmo at a WhatsApp. At a w-
1: <laughs> it can't, it's encrypted, isn't it? <laughs> end to end, baby. Is it WhatsApp? Is it is it encrypted? It better be. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean we have we have a bit with off uh, Officer Massey again. We need to Officer Massey is the unsung MCU character here. Um, She's the one that deciphers all the streets, speak, and...
3: She gets... They introduce introduce her at the beginning of the season Mm. and then she's just like... She's left. Just gets a few lines here and there.
1: I want to know more. I want the Officer Massey spin episode. How does she join the MCU? Because she's legitimately one of the best people in there. She's
4: awesome. Any and every character that a good actor develops Um, You have to do your own. It's our responsibility to develop our own backstory. And they had given me, you know, some of her story, you know, that she was she had worked in the West District and they, Mm -hmm. you know, she was good on the phone. But, you know, my Caroline, she was a mother. She had grown kids.
1: This is Joylett Harris, who plays Caroline Massey.
4: She was divorced. She was kind of laid back, just living life, waiting for retirement so she could quit this job, but still wholeheartedly invested in the job. Um, So I wasn't on the street anymore. You know, not that much. Um, As a matter of fact, the only time I left the soundstage, aka police station, in my whole career (laughs) on the wire was um, in November of 2004.
1: Uh, she's better than McNulty. She's more consistent than McNulty.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> she contributes more. Both to the general like office vibe. Yeah. Uh and also like to workload. You can tell people like her. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> McNulty walks into the room like, oh fucking McNulty. <laughs> Caroline walks in there like, hey Caroline, how's your weekend? Was it good? Yeah. <laughs> Don't know what accent that is, guys. Sorry if you're from Baltimore. And <laughs> I wasn't trying to do your accent. <laughs> is that accent. your Baltimore? Yeah, prob- probably. <laughs> probably. Um But we get we get the number. We get Stringer's number. We get him talking to Shamrock and that means we can zone in on him yeah yeah they pretty
3: much got him and now they're now they're just waiting for him exactly just is
1: rubbing his hands maniacally maniacal laugh um he can't be happy he could not be happier
3: yeah they got him this Uh, is i love that moment where they all know without saying it mm. and just start like high-fiving yeah basically
1: brilliant yeah like
3: (laughs) i just kept thinking of annie potts from ghostbusters (laughs)
1: Let's visit an old Barksdale member in the way of Cutty. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the gym. He's training the, the youth. and But then boxing gloves are falling off. No, exactly. <laughs> they want to fight. They want to yeah. rumble tumble. I don't know what, I said that.
3: Rumble tumble. Whiz- <laughs> whiz- bangery and rumble yeah. tumble. What is this? A geriatric podcast it now, is.
1: officially. That's it. Once you turn 40. You'll start this. <laughs> you Give I'll it a can, few years, Dave. I can't wait. Um, but yeah, they can't fight. They can't. Well, they can fight. They can train. But you know, if they get into a ring, they're just going to get pummeled because they can't compete. They've got no protection. Yeah. So what do you do when you know someone who's got a lot of money? You go ask them for a lot of money. <laughs> B- very gingerly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. This is charming. It's isn't brilliant. It? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Every element of Cuddy's plot from yeah. beginning to end is just charming. And this is like, yeah, just the, the way he's he goes to this like mega millionaire drug dealer mm. and ducks uh, just like gingerly tries to sell him on and he shows him the catalog it's just it's sweet
1: a, it's adorable this this reminds me of when like i wanted to get my first mega drive or playstation I'd, <laughs> you know i'd almost like written down the reasons why the i sales should get pitch. it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. i knew exactly why i should get it it's like but I, when i come home i'll do my homework. And then I will only play like an hour a day, maybe half, okay, half hour. And I will, I'll make sure it's clean and I'll put it away and keep it clean. And it's only cost 200 pounds. Oh, 200 pounds? <laughs> you think I made the money? <laughs> but this is, what, this is what Cutty was doing, wasn't it? He, he had the sales pitch, like yeah. you say. He knew exactly, you know, he, he played on Avon's, like, you've got golden gloves. You know what it's like to box, you know, and these things. Yeah. Um, and he says, yeah, man, how much is it going to cost me? $10,000. And they just
3: laugh. <laughs> Make it 15. Yeah, exactly. Get out of here. <laughs> it's just like how casual and how like effortlessly they yeah. throw that kind of money around. You it. went it's through like, all the
1: effort for 15, for yeah. 10, for 10. Um, I was like, well, give him like 20 or 30 then, mate, if, that's, if it doesn't matter. I know. You.
3: But that's, what, that's why Cuddy's such a good guy. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, he picked the number he needed, mm-hmm. um, not a penny more. Yeah. And he doesn't ask for more because <laughs> he got what he needed. Yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's just a, he's just a top bloke.
1: At the same time this is happening, String is going through his his legal files with, with Morris Levy, the, the lawyer. Yeah. Morris is all but laughing in his face.
3: This is oh this is a real like come down for string, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So uh, Maurice is telling um, telling String that he's been played, yeah. basically. He got played by the best the best <laughs> in the game, Clay Davis. Yeah, because <laughs> he
1: didn't even mention the name, was, was it Clay Davis? Did he yeah. show you the golden faucet? Is yeah, the, yeah. yeah no, no, the golden goose. The golden the goose, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> like he just knows
3: his, his. that's what's so, I think, upsetting for String. It's a humiliation mm. because the way Levy presents this is that like, it's like everyone knows this game. Yeah. It's like, like, he was the fact that he was able to play back exactly what Clay Davis would have said to him mm-hmm is humiliating because it's basically like being done by the most obvious grafter yeah. in the world. And again, this is just shows that he's playing in the he's playing away from home, like as as Avon said. Uh he's you know, he's out of his element, mm-hmm. he's out of his comfort zone. And he's um yeah, he's a fish out of water. I don't know how many times I can just keep saying the same thing. I'm
1: gonna start <laughs>
3: <laughs> Please I like him.
1: Similes, <laughs> metaphors, whatever you want to yeah. to put
11: in there. The thing is we know uh clay davis is a villain all along
1: this is the voice of andy brassell who's one of the hosts of the football ramble and on the continent podcast and is a huge fan of the wire
11: but this is where he steps up a level because the what what he does with stringer is amazing and it all really comes out doesn't it in that in that scene with you suspect he's being hustled a, a little bit and it's the first time that Stringer, this man who's really well prepared, looks a little bit out of his depth when he's in like the world of big boy backhanders with Clay Davis, who's been there, done it, and and, and got the t-shirt. The bit where um, uh, Stringer's describing it to, to 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 Levy, what happened, and he goes, "Oh, I bet he told you that one about the uh, the money faucet, didn't he? Yeah, did Did he? Did he tell you that?" And Levy starts starts laughing really in 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 the face of of Stringer, which is so unusual to to see because he's this you know physically small little lawyer guy, um, just just chuckling in the in, in the in the face of this 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 fearsome gangster, and um, Stringer is just absolutely crestfallen because it has come to pass what um avon said about you know maybe maybe you're not gangster enough for the street anymore but m- maybe you're just not smart enough for them out there
8: it's funny because he does have uh, you know one of the confusing scene to me is when when the lawyer at the end who says oh yeah what are you doing did you go into his office who is this guy like what are you talking about like they totally fleeced you why didn't stringer go to him at the beginning, like, he's on your, he's your lawyer. <laughs> like, you're already paying him. It wouldn't cost you anymore to be like, hey, I was thinking about doing it. But pride, of course, that's why. Because he wants to, he sees the, the, the way in which these guys act uh, almost as an indictment, strangely, of the American dream, which is that the self-made man... Gets all the spoils, gets all the rewards. He thinks Clay Davis and all these guys are self-made, and of course, anyone who actually knows anything knows, no, not one of them is close to self-made.
1: String is raging, and he he knows he's been well and truly had. And this then almost stomping back into into the lair or den or whatever you call it, and saying to Slim Charles, "You need to you need to like yeah. straight out assassinate him." Um, he's but, angry, yeah. And Slim Charles says no originally, Stringer kicks back. Yeah, And then Avon's listening to this. He's like, no, he's not going to do that because that's, that's dark, mate. That's yeah. what he's saying. But how the tables have
3: turned, mm. right? Th- these two have switched positions, essentially. Yeah. Because for this whole series, uh, Avon has been the hothead warmonger yeah. while Stringer is this sort of calm down voice of reason.
1: Because it's nice to know he actually has got barriers. Yes, yeah. And it's not to assassinate kill <laughs> yeah i like kill, that kill street kids fine <laughs> but let's not kill anyone in politics because that that's going to that's going to affect your business
3: uh, slim charles says something along to on the long lines to string he says like uh, a murder ain't no thing but yeah. that's an assassination you're yeah wrong. like i, love, <laughs> I just, just love Bear the it. jackal shit right here <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like murder's not a problem man but you that's assassination that's a different ball game. like i love that slim is able to sort of compartmentalize like these things in his head yeah like no that's just murder that's different yeah
1: um this conversation here then leads into i guess what we what we have is a masterclass of of the wire where both later on in the episode stringer and avon are ratting each other out to prospective people
3: yeah at the same time yeah like, it's 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 Greek tragedy yeah. stuff. It's wonderful.
1: So on one hand, you have Brother Muzone, again, talking, to, Brother Muzone talking to Avon, and Avon really doesn't understand why Brother Muzone's there. He's kind of like, well, I didn't send anyone to, you know, it wasn't my fault. And mm-hmm. work it worked was, out, it was Stringer Bell. He rats out Stringer, because that's the only way they can resolve the, resolve the debt, I think. And he actually tries to pay off Muzone. He tries to give him money. Yeah. Um... So you, I feel that there still is love there for, for Avon. He doesn't want to sell him out that way. For sure. I think that's a
3: real important distinction mm. to make, actually, in that they're, they both do sell each other out, but they do it from different places mm-hmm. because Stringer says to Bunny, Nat's just business. Yeah. And that's his philosophy for
1: well this has got macroeconomics 101 <laughs> yeah back in, the, yeah, it's, it's back in his apartment uh, yeah community college diploma <laughs> exactly <laughs> to get back to. but that's his he sees everything as just business does, yeah. so
3: he sells his best friend mm-hmm. and they hammer that home in the final uh, that their final scene his he sells his best friend out to basically turn a profit yeah. essentially whereas avon is all about family and loyalty and he does it reluctantly, and he only does it because there's no other way out for him, mm. and he's going to lose the brother of and the New York connect and yep. his whole business and everything. And and it, and importantly, it's Stringer who has put him in that position yep. as well with his actions.
1: And it must also be a layer of Stringer killed um, D'Angelo. Yeah,
3: yeah, that, that's right. He's still hurting from that.
1: Yeah, a little bit. So that's almost. I don't know which was the final straw, but it's a hard. It's a hard. Yeah. With a heavy heart, he made that decision. And in
3: the, you know, and in the next episode, we do see. I think we see real internalized repercussions for Avon mm. for what he what he does. Whereas I think Stringer, well, he's is a de- cold <laughs> motherfucker, and he would have gotten over it. He would have <laughs> he done. It.
0: Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free. hi this is Rachel Bolton at the end of the day I'm team Avon because I think he has a greater allegiance to a code community and family there are examples both big and small throughout the series he asks his nephew D'Angelo not to use drugs that he knows are spiked he abides by the Sunday truce He gives Cuddy $15,000 to kickstart his boxing gym, and he offers WeeBay some of his fried chicken when he visits him in his prison cell. As much as I love strainer, I can't help but feel like his actions are motivated by whatever suits his interests at that particular time, rather than a standardized code to live by.
11: Hi guys, I'm Wayne Edge, massive fan of The Wire, and day one listener and trumpeter for The Wire Stripped. Um, I think I'd have to fall on the side of Stringer Bell on this one. Uh, guy put himself through business class, um, you know, was looking to do things in a different way without the killing, uh, etc. Um, two great guys getting things done in their own way, but one trying to do it without murder and always looking over your shoulder. I think I'd always fall on, on the side of uh, String on this one. Two completely different ideologies occupying the same space. It was never gonna work. Unfortunately, my man Stringer had to lose out on this one thanks guys
1: okay guys thank you so much for the burner message there if you want to take part in the burner all you have to do is send us a message to our burner phone uh get the details from our social media they are at the wire stripped on instagram and twitter and the the whatsapp link is there but also you can send us an email to burner at thewirestrip.com with a voice memo and please try and remember to include your name in there so people can you know give you a pat on the back when you hear it
3: credit where credit's due and yes. uh, this week we want to know do you think that stringer deserved to die yeah because uh, in case
1: you in case you didn't know stringer dies in this episode
3: <laughs> yeah yeah he did Uh, So do you think he deserved to die? Do you think it was justified uh, or was he hard done by? Let us know over at the burner. You've heard the details.
1: Yes, we have a patron. Uh, Go to patron.com forward slash the wire strips. And we have a fair few rewards, including priority burner access, which means if you want to tell us what your thoughts are about the wire, then as a patron member, as a supporter of our patron, you get priority access and people will hear your voices before anyone else's.
3: Yeah, you also gain uh, early access to the episodes a week before everybody else.
1: Yeah, full-length interviews with the cast and crew as we record them.
3: Yeah, uh, and uh, you get to submit questions for future interviews that we're doing uh, with the cast and crew.
1: Yeah, and this is a point we're already recording for season four. So if you want to ask um, some of the cast and crew and people you've loved from The Wire uh, for season four, then let us know.
3: Yeah, and uh, most importantly, all the money that we earn on that Patreon page goes to the Ella Thompson Fund. It's a, a charity that is uh, officially supported by the cast and crew of The Wire.
1: Yeah, and that's really important to us. And these guys, the Ella Thompson Fund, uh, provide recreational support uh, and opportunities to kids in lots of Baltimore's areas that need it the most. So think of Cutty. If you want to support Cutty, then these this is a real life version.
3: That's it. Be, mo- be more Cutty. head over, be cutty, head over to patreon.com forward slash the wirestripped.
1: And whilst we're here, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our co-op level members, Uh, the newest members who've joined in the past month. So they are Iglet Charles, GS, we know your name GS, but um, that's how you've listed yourself down. So I'm not sure if you want to give us your proper name, maybe for next time. Uh, Dan Solo, Steve Berger, Cole Burns and Dino. Thank you very much, guys. If you want to join them, please head to patreon.com and type in The Wire Stripped and join up there. Do you want to talk about Stringer's Betrayal?
3: Yes. Well, this, ah, this, this is a beautiful scene, mm. I think. This is, um, as the way they shot this is lovely. Like a lot of that a misty sort of gothic look to it Yeah. Uh, in a graveyard.
1: <laughs> like what an awesome place to meet. Um, well, we've had a few graveyards, haven't we, uh, in The Wire? Yeah, Omar and uh, uh, yeah, met yeah. in a graveyard. Omar, yeah. I think um, t- look, naughty. Yes. Yeah, Omar like led them to, to a graveyard. Yeah. He made them and like led them to a graveyard. I, like, I know you're following me. Let's let's talk. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um But this scene I think this scene hammers home the
3: episode title quite a lot. Middle ground. Because this is the This is two characters who mm-hmm. tried to find a middle ground, right? <laughs> in this war on drugs. You've got Stringer, who yeah. tried to sort of legitimize uh, the, drug, um, the drug gangs. Yeah. Right? He tried to turn... He very, in many ways, very effectively, turn them into a business, a yeah. co-op. And then you've got Bunny, who did the same thing, but from the police side. He tried to legitimize the drug, the drug enforcement. Yeah. Right he enough. legalized drugs. So they kind of did meet in the middle and i think the line that sums it all up is bunny saying look like you and me both trying to make sense of this game. Mm. And I, and i love that because mm. these guys i think these guys are, are really are this season's protagonists if you ask me and this is like the culmination of their journeys kind of coming together both and the cusp of their defeats yeah. as well.
1: Right. Avon on string the balcony
3: Oh, what a scene, right?
1: Again, this has, this has so much more import. Now you know what's going to follow it.
3: F- yes. Yeah, I wonder. I can't remember my first time watching this if I kind of... I mean, there is a, there is something hanging over you the know, scene. Yeah, yeah. But, there's, there's but, some, I, but did, I... Did you see... I didn't see Stringer's death coming out. Not in any way, shape,
1: form. No. Even though... Okay, we let it out of the bag. Dave, you said it. Swing oh, you sorry. It. <laughs> Even though we've seen Wallace gone, we've seen D'Angelo gone. There's other deaths. Stringer's death which we'll talk about after this still doesn't isn't it isn't apparent the first time you watch Mm it Um, it's just hard to imagine it is yeah because he's the focus of everything well he's McNulty's focus therefore he's so he's the main he's the laser dot that McNulty is following yeah so without him without his protagonist what would McNulty do and so it seems unfathomable that Stringer wouldn't be there but taking a step back watching this scene with those two guys knowing that how it's going to end up gives it an extra level that you hadn't you just didn't think is at, at the time you just think oh okay they're actually you're not sure what they're doing on the sides to each other but they are they are still friends and they're just reminiscing and talking about old times and talking about how they grew up together yeah the fact that they stood on this balcony in a fancy ass apartment looking over a fancy ass part of baltimore and they're both happy they made it in their own different in their own kind of ways and that friendship's there cuts 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 to the to the bone. And that's so that's so really that's so really cool. Um It's tragic, isn't it? Yeah it's, and poetic. Yeah. I really love
3: that scene.
12: Damn, man, I missed this crib already. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, you spending a lot of time at the other spot doing what you gotta do, Yeah. Man, it's a shame we gotta do this Marlowe bullshit, man. I mean, if I had taken care of that
5: earlier, man. It's always gonna be a Marlowe, man. No Marlo, no game.
8: Oh, what a beautiful scene. As the two of them sit in this brand new condo uh, on the Inner Harbor, which for those of you who've never been in the great city of Baltimore, the Inner Harbor is the kind of Disney World zone of Baltimore. It's just, it's gorgeous. Go for a walk in the Inner Harbor. It's such an upper middle class white part of Baltimore. And here they are to kids who grew up in the west side, who grew up in some of the worst neighborhoods, and they're really just like, wow, like we're here, like we made it. It's such a touching moment. Look at this shit, can you fucking believe
5: this? I mean, I got a crib that's overlooking the harbor. This is the same place we used to run through this motherfucker. We had every security guard in there following us.
12: As they should have. True. (laughs) True, and then there was at one time in the
5: toy store. Hell yeah! I told your ass not to steal a badminton set. What you gonna do with a fucking net and a racket? We ain't got no yard.
12: Uh, first, the first, the, the first one that comes to mind that I love watching, just as a viewer, is Barksdale and Stringer last scene when they
3: know they're both gonna kill each other. This is, of course, the one, the only. The bunk, played by Wendell Pierce.
5: This is crazy, man.
12: Right here, too, man. Right there. God damn. That is one of the greatest scenes in English-speaking uh, um, theater, TV, or film. It's on par with The Godfather. It's on par with, uh, you know, yeah, uh, um, Shakespeare, absolutely. But, but I mean specific performances. Richard the Third by Olivier, uh, uh, um, you know uh, Gilgood and Olivier in Julius Caesar, uh, Daniel Day Lewis as Lincoln, is uh, Idris Elba and Wood Harris in that scene. I put that on. I that's up there with Heat with De Niro and. Al Pacino. That scene is phenomenal. Clay Davis bullshit, man. I'm going to have to cut his money, little faggot. Time y'all Uh, What time? Uh, 12? Uh, I think. What? You need me to do something for you? Nah, I'm just seeing where you're going to be at. It's
3: poetic that they're that they are on a balcony yeah. <laughs> in a way because that's like at the top they're at the top floor like they kind of you know like the epigraph is we we ain't got a dream no more mm. like they did it this yeah. is they've almost they peaked and yet they kind of both wanted more you know you can't stop that's it and then those diverging paths are ultimately like just separate. us motherfucker
1: us, man. So the scene where Stringer gets shot is, is still shocking, because mainly because it's Stringer, mm-hmm. um, but the lead up into it, well, you see you, you see Omar and Brother Mazzone walking together, they have that bit of a tete-a-tete, mildly, in passing, discuss the, the tactics and the strategy. Yeah, almost like
3: an afterthought, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, should we... Should we plan this or no? No, we'll just we'll just make him dead. Let's swing it. Make, make him dead. <laughs> um, and it's just it's it's great seeing those two walk with Omar with his sawn off with his massive sh- shotgun mm. swinging out of his um, massive trench coat, brother own bow tie, more refined. And it's it's like yin and yang almost. We're working together but also different.
3: Yeah.
1: And the moment. Omar pulls out a shotgun and shoots the other guy dead clean over the over the table and Stringer Bell is running shit scared for his life he's just seen Omar he knows who Omar is Omar's got a massive gun mm. he's running I don't know why he's running up because where is he going to go? It's like a horror movie they, yeah. all,
3: they always go up the stairs <laughs> like, what <are> you they <laughs> go like uh, go out the window
1: <laughs> yeah like, jump out one floor and <laughs> yeah. go um he goes up the stairs, goes up a blind alley, uh, goes up a blind staircase, comes back down, comes back up, and is faced by a Brother Mazon with his gun drawn out. Yeah. And And I think the resignation sets in, yeah, doesn't it? And then yeah. also then following behind him is Omar. he Omar and Brother Muzone, two of the most feared killers in Baltimore and the in the you know, in the eastern seaboard. And it's just like, Well, um I can try and negotiate and he tries, but it's just Yeah. No no way.
3: Well he's like he's a smart guy up until the end, right? He mm. sees, he's a He can assess any situation and figure out the best route. And there is no best route. So he, yeah, he, he, and to be, you know, to be fair to stringer, he's stoically, you know, he doesn't, he swallows his fear, mm. I think. And just like is proud and stoic to the very end. And then, and then sort of has the last word, which I kind I kind of like his final line.
1: I still can't can't believe it's happened, even though I've seen it happen multiple times now. <laughs> Are you okay, Kobe? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> right. <laughs> Are you in shock? You're in denial. But hey. I wonder what it, we, I mean. We have touched them upon it a few times, but and this is one reason why the why is still great. We've seen key characters go, but it's still like they actually caught, they actually shot Stringer. They yeah. actually shot Stringer, and it's Broom own, and it's Omar. So they weren't playing. Mm. This isn't Poo Carr who doesn't know how to wield a gun properly. This is. I think it's important that... Poot. <laughs> yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine if it had
3: been Poot. Um, I think it's important that it's those two characters mm. because they're two characters that... They're two problems that he, Stringer created. Sure. Uh, so he he in many ways, he dies by his own hand or he dies by his own mistakes. Yeah. Um, again, trying to play gangster. I think anytime we see Stringer try to be... The gangster, like D'Angelo, Omar, uh Brother of his own, he makes the wrong moves. He makes he he tries to make he tries to use violence as a as a piece on a chessboard mm. without you know the way Avon treats it, which is about like a code. You know, there's a he understands the sort of the game and the code.
1: He's well, trying to play a gangster but strategically. Whereas, yes. Yes. Yeah, a- exactly. Whereas Avon's like he just knows how to play the game properly.
3: Exactly. He it's, it's inst- he just knows it's instinctual to Avon because he is a creature mm-hmm. of the game, and Stringer views the game like a chessboard or a business, and he's playing it wrong, mm-hmm. and that's why these two men are where they are Stood in, in front of him. him. Yeah.
1: Because conceivably he could have had his cake and eaten it. He didn't have to kill D'Angelo. Nope. He could have. Created own B and B enterprises and just, I mean, his main problem was Avon in the fact that they wouldn't accept the package, the and, and wouldn't join the co-op in the way that the other, the rest of Baltimore was doing. Yeah. But I'm sure he could have worked out some way to have his cake and eat it in that case. But he just didn't. He couldn't do it. No.
3: But then he. But he he made a lot of mistakes. He tr- he uh, tried to kill Omar on a Sunday. Don't forget. Yeah. Right. That's against the rules of the game. Yeah. Like. The, the game will win eventually, if you, especially if you don't play it right. Very much so. Uh,
9: what we're about to do, uh, certainly aware of his popularity on the show and, and being one of the stars, one of the leads of the show. It, and it was one of the things that I greatly appreciated about um, David Simon and about the show, that they weren't worried about sacrificing popular characters. And I remember reading an article that David had, uh, an interview he had done. He said, well, we we are happy that you love our characters. And sometimes if they're really, we're into them, they may get more lines. They may be written into more things. But when the story requires them to exit or to die, they die, period. That's just how it was. Once their storyline is done, it's done. And I really respected him for that. But that that was a very, very tense day, that whole shoot. Uh, and I know it was very, it weighed very, very heavily on Idris uh, because he took three years of his life doing this and doing this character. And I, and I think he understood the importance of it. And I understood what this meant. And, and certainly for my character, that I got to be one of the people who took him down. It's like, wow, this is big. We're taking down Stringer Bell. This is going to be huge, huge. In the, in the Wire universe. Huge and completely unexpected. And I loved that. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the show, and I loved David and the writers um, and, and the producers for for doing it and for the way that they did set it up. It was fantastic. And and it, and it affected everyone. And it affected, yeah, it, it affected everyone in the doing of it. There was, uh, said it's never been more quiet, had never been more quiet between takes. And uh, Idris was was palpably, you know, devastated, (laughs) you know, hurt by it. Um, Yeah, it was a a huge, very, very weighty, very weighty shooting that one. So so, certainly far more so than some of the other scenes.
8: First thing that pops into my mind is the death of Stringer Bell, which is heartbreaking in terms of, because he's such a good character. And you you don't like him at any point. Anyone who likes Stringer Bell is a, is a bad person. <laughs> but you're very compelled by him. Stringer was such a,
13: a a large character that there was a point where I don't think I could. I could even even though I wasn't really watching my scenes, I knew that he was such an integral part of the show to see him, especially to see him from going to the community college days and all of that stuff. You know, to now, to that point, it was like I couldn't see him not being a part of the show. So that was probably such a big thing because I was just like he, you know, like, bring her, you know, like how, what, what now, you know? really i mean i honestly had no um yeah i had no inkling of what was to come and how how fabulous it would go on and you know you know but at that time i could not you know i just i was like what the heck you know they must really have something in store if this is how it's going to go.
8: the panic as he's running up the stairs and he's like trying to get the door in the roof and it's locked and he runs down and he just switches. He reco- He's done, and it all hits him at once. And he does everything with his face and with the way that his shoulders shift just subtly. Because Idris Elba is a brilliant actor. <laughs> like there's a reason he got the role, right? Uh, it's uh, it's heartbreaking as you just like he just knows he's just a rat. He's just a rat trapped in a in a, in a cage, and it's over. Oh, oh, it's so powerful, and it's such a. But it is, you know, very Richard the Third like, like it's a fitting end. It's a deserving end for Stringer. You know, he was ignoble from the from the start, but evil from the minute he gets rid of D'Angelo. I mean, just. Ir- irreprehensible, you cannot be forgiven, ever.
5: I knew it was coming, um, but it was still hard to watch. It was still like hard to believe that it was actually, you know, you'd be like, oh, it's going to get killed. You'd be like, what? Why? And so when it happens, you're just as shocked as the fans are. And that was a beautiful thing. Even though I knew, it was still like a shock to me when it happened. I'm like, this is really happening. Because you can you hear some things, but then they can change their mind. So when I saw that it really happened, I was just kind of, I was devastated too. And I was like, "Man, what are we gonna do with our stringer?" Because it's like that, you know. It wasn't he sh- wasn't a show, but he was a big part of the show, and it was just like you don't kill him. Like you, that was before you had shows killing main characters. Like you don't kill a main character. What? It's the show's not over. You know, I like, can see if the season the show's gonna be over, it's done. Then you do it, but not season three. And you and you don't. You know, we don't know if it's another season's coming back, but it's like. What? It's not gonna if they killed it it may not come back because they killed the main character.
8: As much as D'Angelo's death tells us no character is safe, Stringer's death tells you you the the world doesn't function the way you want it to.
2: Everybody was shocked about his death. This was a major character, um wild TV in twenty twenty-one or up to 2021, has shown us major characters dying on the regular on, on TV shows. This was not a thing um, that was popular on most shows. And so seeing this deaf man seeing this death so violently, you know, being blasted away by, you know, two, you know, um, shooters uh, was pretty remarkable on David Simon's part to sort of make, you know, present that challenge. But also the location, right? You know, it's in one of his buildings. Um, you know, in an area that clearly has un- is undergoing the first phases of gentrification. You know that Stringer is assisting with, and uh, but I thought it was an important sort of closure because um, it helps to set up what we, you know, come to know as um, you know the re- the remaining uh, you know seasons of the show because the name you know the game gets more vicious, right? Um, and so what comes after the Barksdale crew um, can only be worse than the Barksdale crew, just as the Barksdale crew is worse than the previous
10: crews. It never occurred to me for a moment when I first watched it that Stringer was going to die like that. It did, I, he was going to get away somehow, there was going to be an escape, but there was going to be a thing that happened that was going to be fine. Um, it just, it, did, it came out of... It seemed to come out of nowhere even though I'm pretty sure I had read a spoiler online somewhere. Like I think I'd actually read it and I still didn't believe it was going to happen. You know, it was like that. So yeah, it's it's still it's jaw dropping. Absolutely jaw dropping TV. I feel like if you're if you're going to kill a character as major as Stringer Bell, you have to have someone really formidable do the job and you have to have someone who um for whom it's personal. I, I, like I don't think it would be satisfying in, in to have him killed by someone, you know, in the same way that we've we've seen throughout the series that that someone is just kind of manipulated into doing or ordered to do a hit on someone and and struggles with it. that wouldn't feel right in this case. It had to be someone like Omar. In fact, it probably just had to be Omar. I don't think there's anyone else who could have done it. Um, because he is formidable and he is a character who is at least as layered and as complicated. As, as Stringer or as McNulty or as Bunk. You know, I think he's he's one of the greatest characters that this show gave us. And that is a really high compliment.
3: Right, that's it from us this week. We're nearly there. We're, next week is the season finale. It's called Mission Accomplished.
1: Or oh, is it? Well, it's called Mission Accomplished, but has the mission been accomplished? You'll find yeah, out. They did it. Um, <laughs>
3: they did it. They beat drugs.
1: <laughs>
3: it's over. Just saying. Go home, everyone. Um,
1: that is a very deep cut to hear us. Anyway, uh, if you do want to <laughs> contact us, guys, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from all everyone who listens to us. Um, you can contact us at producers at The strip via email or go to our social media at The Wirestrip on both Twitter and Instagram.
3: And as always, a huge thank you to Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast who did the cover of Way Down in the Hole, which you're hearing right now.
1: Yeah, thanks also to Simon Devro, aka Dev's Noodles, for the artwork for this for this uh, for this season.
3: Thanks to our uh, amazing producer Obi uh, for going through all the interviews and pulling out all the best bits that you guys are hearing.
1: Yeah, thanks to Ben uh, Williams for his editing support this season.
3: Uh, and thanks, as always, to T Bone, Mister Tom Wally, our series producer, editor, and all-round swell dude.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um guys, we look forward to talking to you next episode about episode twelve.
3: I'm very excited. I'm yes. very excited. See you there, guys.
1: you there. Uh,
5: bye.
11: You just heard a stripped media production.